0: Well, these are momentous times in which we live. For that, I don't think there is any debate either. That statement, I don't believe anyone would dispute. 2 Peter 3 and 11 says this, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? The apostle Peter is talking about the end of time and he is stating that as we begin to see these things happen, it is a reminder to us that we need to be devout, that we need to be godly and that we need to watch our conversation and that we need to serve God and keep our eyes focused on him. I mentioned that this past Sunday morning when I began the new series that I am now in entitled Future Shot Now, which is a riff off of the book by Alvin Toffler that was written several decades ago. And this past Sunday, I spoke from the subject, it's almost midnight. And in terms of God's divine time clock, that really is the truth. I'm going to speak this coming uh, Sunday from the subject or the horseman coming, which is taken from Revelation chapter 6, the next several services that I have the opportunity to minister to you in. I want to introduce you to some of the prophecies of the Bible and try to correlate those to where we are living right now. You just simply cannot help but feel with everything that's going on around us right now that we are living in what the Bible calls the last days. Would you agree with that? Amen. Amen. I could tell you something funny. It might break the ice just a little since I'm going to talk about such a tense subject. I used to preach in a church in the state of Tennessee. And it was a church that was located in the rural part of a A particular city well McMinnville Tennessee I'll tell you where it was and uh, as it was the pastor had had foresight and vision and bought property and the whole city started moving out that way just like with us here exactly the same and they bought the property behind the church to build a huge new modern mall and on a Sunday morning Nobody realized it, but they were out there getting ready to get rid of the stumps so that they could start construction. And we were in revival and talking about the coming of the Lord. And um, while I was doing that, there were some folk out there in the back. They had been hired to move some stumps. And they figured... You know, fastest way to get rid of a stump is with dynamite. Not making this up. That's true. Talking about the coming of the Lord. And there was a a lady sitting out there chewing on her gum completely unperturbed. And no matter how intense the service got. Until finally raised my hand and said, Jesus is coming soon. In fact, I said, he's coming so soon, he could come right now. And as my hand came in contact with the pulpit, the dynamite went off. <laughs> you think I'm making that up? I'm not. The only thing is they had never done that before. These guys had never used dynamite before. And they used way too much. And that church was shaken. Clods of earth raining all over the church. And match splinters from that tree trunk. And that lady jumped up and shouted, there he is right now. <laughs> she would have really gotten to the altar fast if she could have got off her knees. Oh, she was moving. Now, you say, Pastor. Pastor. Is Jesus really coming? I promise you he is. Do we know when? No. No man knows the day of the hour. But there are prophecies given in your Bible that are meant to be, as it were, mile markers as we get closer. They're like the ticking sounds of a grandfather clock standing in the corner of the room. Tick, tock. They mark every passing moment, and I want to speak this evening about something that I feel like is very significant in Bible prophecy, and that's the four Babylons in Bible prophecy. In Revelation 18 verses 1 through 3, I read: After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the angel was the earth rather was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Father, would you speak to us right now? Open your word to our understanding and help us to take from the truth of your word, divine insight that can transform our lives, especially in these troubled times in Jesus name. And everybody said, Amen. Once again, like I did Sunday, I want to point out to you that my intention is not to scare anybody to death. There's enough of that going on already. Just look around. My intention is to give you hope. And let you know that in the middle of the chaos, there is order. Let you know that in the middle of everything that's going on, there are... Hands that are guiding the process within certain parameters And insofar as you and I as believers are concerned We are safe as I said Sunday I don't want you to feel this is coming upon us It's not a punishment And I could talk to you about the coming of Christ And the rapture and all of those things that are so vital and important I can only cover so much in one evening and so I want to dive directly into this. What does Babylon and Revelation represent in Bible prophecy? Throughout the book of Revelation, you will find references made to Babylon. Babylon was the capital city of an ancient kingdom called Babylonian. Babylonia, rather, or the Babylonian Empire. It was located in what today would be called Iraq. However, when you study the prophetic verses in the book of Revelation, and there are a number of them, chapter 13, chapter 17, we could go on a number of chapters. In chapter uh, 18, you will find references made to a particular Babylon that do not seem to fit with the historical Babylon. And they seem to be, as it were, out of order with what the ancient Babylon represented. The prophecies about Babylon appear to represent several things. They appear to represent a future political kingdom, a future religious kingdom or entity, and a future economic system. This is obviously very confusing to many Bible readers because we all know about the ancient historical Babylon And of course, when you read Babylon, your mind immediately goes back to that Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar and people like that. You see, Babylon was an incredible city. It was considered to be the largest city of the ancient world. It was very advanced in the arts and in science. Its hanging gardens were a phenomenon of great beauty, beauty. And architectural splendor and people would come from four regions of the world to see the beauty of Babylon they were also brilliant astronomers it's where the three wise men from the East came that saw the star that signified the birth of Christ and they were able to discern its meaning because they had a long history of studying astronomy the problem is is that Babylon was conquered and failed in 539 BC Babylon was also overrun a number of other times during the following centuries before Christ was born and its standing and its stature were diminished each time until finally it was literally nothing more than just a small town or a village that's what makes these prophecies that John wrote of a political and economic and a religious Babylon all the more incredible. It's because at the time that John wrote this, Babylon was just a dusty little village. Now for many centuries, Babylon has practically ceased to exist altogether. Jeremiah prophesied that ancient Babylon would never be inhabited again after those days. The historical Babylon. Jeremiah 50 verse 13, the A clause, but the wrath of the Lord She because of the wrath of the Lord rather she shall not be inhabited But she shall be wholly desolate That's the prophecy Jeremiah gave regarding ancient Babylon And so now we read about a Babylon that is to come What looks like three of them And we read a contradictory it seems prophecy stating that Babylon will never again be inhabited And everybody's asking what does all this mean? Saddam Hussein actually tried to rebuild Babylon during his reign over Iraq, but was deposed of before he could do so. You see, none of these prophecies about Babylon being prominent make any sense until you remember that the book of Revelation is a book of symbols that represent real events. One of the problems that God as a communicator with us has is to be able to speak to us in modern times but the book was written centuries ago so he's got to devise language he's got to devise description he has got to put together adjectives he's got to put together symbolism in such a way that he can speak to a generation that is born 1900 years after the last book in the bible was written and still be able to communicate with them with relevance amen so the question then is how do you decipher the meaning of these symbols one of the most important principles is that to interpret scripture you've got to use other scripture to do it you don't just get to look at a verse and say well I think it means this because our thoughts and our opinions don't count when it comes to interpreting scripture. Amen. And when we look in chapter one of Revelation, verse 19, John is clearly told that he should write what he has already seen, what now is, and what shall be after this. In other words, that is to say, the vision I'm gonna show you, John, throughout the book of Revelation, that vision encompasses things that have passed things that now are, and things that are yet to come at a future time. The past is historical. The present and the future are what were coming. You might ask then, how does one begin to understand Bible prophecy? So let's look at one of the most basic of all interpretive principles, and that is the law of first mention. You might wanna remember that when you study your Bible. In theology, there is a principle that is called the law of first mention. And what it means is that to understand something in the Bible, you should go all the way back to the very first place that thing is mentioned in Scripture and see what God meant when he first addressed it. And let me show you right here from the book of Revelation what I'm talking about. Look at Revelation chapter 11. John describes two witnesses who stood upon the earth that he saw future tense who cried out because of the rebellion of mankind against their creator. And they cried out and prophesied for three and a half years. And they were a thorn in the leaders of the world's side and in the political system and in the economic system. And then they were killed. And after three and a half days, John said he saw them amazingly get resurrected while the whole world is watching. That right there tells you it had to be at a different time than yesteryear. The only way that could happen is via television and via the news. And while cameras are trained on the bodies of these two witnesses, they're going to stand to their feet Breathe and have life again. And while the world watches, be caught up to meet God in the heavens. Amen. And the Bible says this. It says that, and I read it in Revelation 11 and 7, when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them and kill them. Now watch this. And their dead bodies will lie in the streets of the great city which, here it comes, spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt where also our Lord was crucified. Amen. Spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. God called the name of the city where they killed Christ spiritual Sodom. Did you notice that? You say, wait a minute. There wasn't any Sodom in the days of, Of Christ, it had been destroyed 2000 years before John was ever born. And you're right. Both those cities were destroyed in Genesis 19. The latter part of Revelation 11 and 8, though makes clear the identity of the city. It is a spiritual Sodom in Egypt, and it is the city where our Lord was crucified. Well, we already know what city that was. You don't even have to guess, it's right there in your Bible. That was the city of Jerusalem where he was crucified. And so then you ask yourself the question, why is he calling it spiritual Sodom? It's because of the law of first mention. Sodom and Gomorrah turned the natural use of what God gave and intended to be used to create life into something that instead brought about their own death and destruction. They took the gift that was meant to be the means of continuing the Genesis mandate to fill the earth and made it become the instrumentality of their own destruction. And that's why Jerusalem is called spiritual Sodom. What do I mean? God sent his son to give life, but they used the very word of God meant to save life and to save us to take the life of the son of god who was the living word of god listen to this in john 19 verses 6 and 7 therefore when the chief priest and officers saw him they cried out saying crucify him crucify him pilate said to them you take him and crucify him for i find no fault in him the jews answered him we have a law we have a law. And according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. They took the very word of God to crucify the living word of God. And that was a perversion of its intended use. And so when God looked at Jerusalem and saw what they were doing, he said, I've seen that before. I saw it 2,000 years ago at a place called Sodom where they turned around Something's intended use and used it to their own destruction. He does the same thing with Babylon. To better understand what Babylon represents, let's go back and look at its first mention in scripture. In Genesis, we find the first place that Babylon was mentioned in, Gen- in the Bible is Genesis chapters 10 and 11 in connection with Nimrod, whom the Bible called a mighty hunter before the Lord. Ancient texts say that he hunted the souls of men. Wasn't just a mighty hunter. He hunted the souls of men to lure them away from devotion to God. Babylon was the place where after the flood, men settled and remember, even though it was only a few chapters earlier in Genesis, which was hundreds of years ago in terms of time, They hadn't forgotten it. They were still telling the story. Sure hope there's not another flood. Well, there won't be if you live like you're supposed to live. God had told them that he's never going to destroy the world again with, with, with a flood. But they didn't want to live like they should. And so they basically, Nimrod, who was their leader and their king, set about to build a tower where they could escape just in case there's another flood coming. Because we're not changing the way we're living. Not for you, God, not for anybody, is basically what they were saying. So we're gonna go ahead and live like we want to, but all of that threat about a flood, we got it covered this time, we're building a tower. We're gonna save ourselves, we don't need you to save us. And therefore, in the Bible, Babylon becomes a type of a substitution, something man created to replace what God had intended to be used there. Man creates his own substitute and then then turns to God and say, got it covered, you can go ahead and leave now, don't need you anymore. Yeah, but if you don't live right, this is going to happen. Nah, not going to happen. We got that covered. We've got it handled all under control. See you by God. And that is pretty much the attitude of today's society, isn't it? Bug out, God, we don't need you. Don't need you in our government. Don't need you in our universities. Don't need you in our schools. In fact, many times we don't even need you in our churches. Sorry, I feel like I really wanna preach here tonight. So I might say a few things that I'll leave here after the service and say, did I really say that? And my wife will say, yeah, you really did. Amen, but it needs to be said, amen. They built a tower. The purpose of the tower was to provide their own way of salvation. And it replaced man's need to live in a way that was pleasing to God. That way they could go ahead and do their own thing, tell God to get lost, amen. God saw the Babylonian tower as a replacement for himself as savior. And that's why these systems in the book of Revelation are called Babylonian systems. They all are replacements for God. Amen. You see, these systems replace man's need of God with something of man's own devising. Man feels that he doesn't need to obey God. We've got it all worked out. Thank you very much. And in reality, all of these are poor substitutes. But what they will do is kind of like eating your dessert before your meal. It spoils your appetite for the thing that's most important and best for you. And man's created his own systems and so they named the city that grew up around the Tower of Babylon Babel rather the Tower of Babel they, they named it Babylon Babel means confusion and that's what you see all around us right now confusion in politics confusion in the economy confusion confusion it reigns everywhere confusion in religion And when you look at the book of Revelation, you will see that John speaks of a political Babylon that man creates to solve his problems. You'll find there is an economic Babylon that goes hand in glove with the political system. And it too is called Babylon because it makes mankind feel that we don't need you, Lord. I got my insurance, my 401k, I've got a good job. I've got my house taken care of. Thank you, Lord, I don't need you. And God said, Babylon. Babylon, amen. And then finally, there's the religious Babylon. And you might ask, but how can religion be a substitute for God? Easy. People seem to believe that religion is synonymous with God, but it isn't. Religion can be the biggest obstacle you face in trying to find God or have a relationship with God. It's a substitute for god all over the world people are satisfied with religion rather than knowing the lord and with all of its rules and regulations and its traditions and its structure religion often promotes ritual rather than relationship and symbolism over substance what god is interested in is relationship and so what john does in the book of revelation you will find that he keeps going back to certain things Because what he seems to do up through chapter 13 is he lays some stuff out and gives you kind of the 30,000 foot perspective out the window of the airplane. And then he comes back from 14 on to kind of give you more insight and more detail about what you've just witnessed. So let's look at the first one of these. That's the political Babylon. Could we be living in a time of the rise of a political Babylon right now? If so, what does it mean? Actually, I picked this one first because it's the easiest one to interpret because it's right there in the Bible already interpreted for us. First Peter five thirteen, Peter's writing from Rome and he says this, the church that is at Babylon elected together with you, saluteth you and so does Marcus my son. Paul wrote this from Rome. What does that mean? Or not Paul, Peter. What does that mean? Rome was the headquarters of the central government of the largest empire that existed in the world at that time. It was a world empire. It covered the then known world. And Peter writes his epistle from rome but he calls it babylon see the connection a governmental system and he's writing an epistle from the headquarters of that government and he calls it babylon why because they didn't need god in rome they had it all worked out they had a great city government roads everybody was doing just great Peter said, this is Babylon. Amen. This connects with what Daniel saw in a vision in Daniel chapter 7 that could come, that will come, I should say, in the last days. In Daniel 7, Daniel dreamed a dream of four different beasts that came up out of the sea. And it was explained to him that these were four major world empires or governmental systems that would rise. And it was clearly stated that the context would be the last days. Now, watch this. Anytime you see in prophecy something coming out of the sea, I could take the time to show you the scriptures, but I'd have to keep you too long tonight. But believe me, it's there. When you see it rising out of the sea, sea represents multitudes of people. So there is rising up out of the multitudes of humanity. Governmental systems. Amen. Amen. Then when it speaks of beast, it says right there in the scripture, in Daniel, that these are leaders that are coming, world leaders that will exist. And if they are world leaders, they have governments. They are the heads of the government. And it's just like it is with us right now in the United States. They don't go and say the United States declared today. They say Donald Trump said today. And then next year they'll be saying joe biden said today unless that changes amen. amen but the point is simply this and nobody knows right now what's going on you get it figured out let me know amen but the point is world leaders become synonymous with a being identified as a part of that structure of which they are a part and, and so it was that These beasts rose up and they referred to modern political systems that Daniel was seeing. And those exist right now. Make no mistake about it. I don't have time to talk about these tonight, but they already are in existence right now. These political systems are Babylonian in nature and that they substitute man-made governmental systems for the government of God. And this is where people sometimes object. I used to preach on these kind of things years ago. And boy, are we there now? It's like, you know, we're we're close. Back then I'd preach, it's coming someday. I'm like, my God, I'm not sure we're gonna make it till tomorrow morning, (laughs) amen. I mean, I used to say back in the day when I was an evangelist, goodbye, sinner friend. People climb over each other to get to the altar because they they knew that it was in the scripture And they had a sense that it was near But if we were near then How much nearer are we right now? You get my point? Amen And people would always ask this question Well what's wrong with having a government That solves the problems of the world? Nothing It's just they're leaving God out The reason the problems exist is because man turned from God. Amen. Disease, sickness, crime, war, racism, hatred, animosity, greed, pride, arrogance, immorality, all of it is the result of man's fall from grace. So now then, the way man chooses to address it is, hey God, we're going to get together and we're going to fix this up and we'll be cool and you just go ahead and stay in heaven somewhere and leave us alone and we'll fix this by ourselves. Instead, what man ought to be doing is humbling himself and including God in his efforts to fix the problems of the earth. Amen. If only man would say thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But what Daniel saw and what John saw as well was man's efforts created a monster and that monster was called the beast. That what was supposed to help turned out to be the most, most destructive force released on the face of the earth. In Revelation 17 and three, John says, so he was carried away in the spirit into the wilderness and saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and 10 horns. How I wish I could take the time to talk about those entities, seven heads and 10 horns. But all I have time to do is just gloss over a little of this and I'll say the beast is the governmental system. That's what that is. The beast is the governmental system. And notice it's scarlet in color. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but there are certain political ideologies that are known by color. We call them red China, Russia, red, red. Anybody know what that means? That's socialism. They're talking about a great global reset right now. Did you hear Trudeau's speech? Hey, did you hear Prince Charles' speech the other day? I got this. How about Angela Merkel's speech or the others? They're all saying the same thing that right now is the time to address the injustices of the world and do a global reset. And they're literally talking about taking away all debt. Hoorah. but also all ownership of property that is something that's happened before in a country known for its being read it didn't work then you see I'm not opposed to people trying to fix the problems of the world I'm all for it I'll sit at any table with anybody to try to work out problems And find solutions, but if you leave God outside and say, uh, if you don't mind, would you stand out in the corridor while we fix this? Don't be surprised if the mess that we're in and the things that got us there don't continue after we get up from the table. Everybody's saying the same thing. The world cannot continue down its present course that this pandemic has given us the perfect opportunity to do a global reset. I watched a compilation of speeches the other day on YouTube just given over the last several weeks by some of the major leaders of the world. Global reset, global reset, global reset, global reset, global reset. That's a government that's coming. And with it, every governmental system has to have an economic system to be able to exist. The economic system is, I'm sure, something you're very familiar with that we read about in the Bible. And insofar as it relates to the last days, it will be the economic Babylon. And you find it described in Revelation thirteen, sixteen through 17. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast or the number of his name. Remember, the beast is the political system. Now we're talking about the economic system of the political system. That's what I talked about this past Sunday morning. Where the scripture says you will not be able to buy or sell without that mark. In your right hand or in your forehead. And in other words, you'll be shut out of the system. You'll be excluded. If you aren't willing to take the mark. Have y'all been hearing what they're saying about this vaccine they're coming out with? That if you don't take it, you won't be able to go to your office? Y'all been hearing that? You won't be able to get on an airplane? Train? Train? You can't go anywhere, can't do anything until you take the vaccine. You say, well, pastor, you're surely not advising us to stay away from the vaccine. Or are you, let me just tell you what somebody sent me and then you make up your own mind. Okay. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. But at least one of those vaccines is made from sales taken from an aborted fetus. And it'd be just like God, because if we read in the book of Revelation, what is it, chapter 17, about a noisome sore that grows for on everyone that took the mark of the beast. Wouldn't it be just like God to say, you want to take 65 million babies and use their stem cells to create a vaccine so you can live, but you're going to take their life? Let me show you the quality of life you're going to have. So I'll just say this there's no way I'm getting anywhere near a vaccine Amen. that comes from an aborted fetus. Amen. Can't do it. Uh-uh. Here's the problem with that though. Let me be real with you. Now then, I've got to fly. Mr. Hurd. Where's your card? Shows you were vaccinated. Where's your paper? Walk with me now. Let's just say I did do it, which I don't intend to. It won't be long until that card is practically demolished <laughs> the way I've traveled. And so it gets all dirty and frayed around the edges and it's fragile and fall to pieces. And then somebody comes up and says, hey, you know that new chip that we've been using in different places around the world? Why don't you let us encode the documentation in that? You see, I've never believed the mark of the beast was somebody standing there with a mark, you know, a branding iron in one hand and a sword in the other and saying, do you want the mark or you want your head cut off? not the way it's going to work it's going to be a matter of ultimate convenience if you saw what I showed you this past Sunday of those different chips in people's hands walking up to a snack machine don't even need to carry a wallet don't need a credit card anymore get on a train airplane all this do these kind of things you know take care of your banking right there all of it done electronically it's convenient man but carry it to the next level. And all of a sudden it's beginning to look pretty scary. You say, are you anti-technology? If anybody's watching this, are you anti-technology? No, I'm not. I just wanna be sure that I put my trust and my faith in Christ alone and take my stand there. I don't wanna compromise my spiritual values for convenience. Back to the verse that I read, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Because someday these things are going to be dissolved. So if all you're looking is for the convenience, well, that's scary. I believe that this pandemic has literally set a stage for a level of control that I never thought I would see exist in my lifetime. I never thought I would see it in my lifetime here in America. We are so fiercely independent. We are so individualistic. I never once thought that we would reach the place where you could say to people, you can't go to church. But you can go to Walmart. I'm not talking about being foolish and reckless and getting out there and acting here responsibly insofar as this virus is concerned. See that? I wore it to the platform. Took it off over there on the corner once I got on the platform. And when I see you after service, I'll have this on. And I'd love for you to wear them into the building. And, and when you leave the building, well, I actually wish we'd wear them all the time. But the problem is right now that that people are going to label us as being anti-technology. And we're not. You'll be able to get a taxi. You'll be able to pay your meal for your meal. You'll be able to... Get on an airplane, all of that, but just stick in your hand, you know, right there. All of it deducted automatically. Ultimate level of convenience. And God said, that is Babylon. It's a replacement for me. Rather than fix the problems that got us into this mess, you want to devise your own solution and leave me out of the process. And that's what is so disturbing about this. Amen. And then there is the rise of religious Babylon. The religious Babylon will be the spiritual component behind this system. You think religion's going away? No. No. It's just truth is going away. There'll still be churches. Oh yeah, right now, what I just said a few minutes ago about fetal cell tissue used in a vaccine. There are preachers and pastors in America that would think I am, I fell off a train somewhere and landed on my head, that that is even a concern. And you know what's really bad? Is every day we're exposed to it. We're exposed to more of it and more of it and more of it. And all of a while, the strong position we once had about things like that begins to get weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker because we all want to be accepted, don't we? So yeah, there'll be plenty of religion In fact, the Bible speaks of a false prophet that's going to accompany all of this. a false prophet, a spirit of deception. It's going to be present. And they're going to say about people that believe the word of God, that have concerns such as I've just expressed that are taken directly from the Bible, by the way. They're going to say... Man, get with a program. Come on. Are you still living back in the 1900s? Don't you know any better? And there will be a strong pull to get you to compromise on the principles of Scripture. And you've got to say no to those things. You've got to make up your mind that you're standing your ground for righteousness, seeing that these things will be dissolved. What manner of persons ought we to be? Religious Babylon will be the spiritual component behind this system. Revelation 17 verses one through five is described as a woman. There are two women, by the way, that are mentioned in Revelation. This is one of them. The other, I'll tell you who it is in a moment. Let me read. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, that's judgment, by the way, came and talked with me, saying to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk, With the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit. Into the wilderness. And I saw a woman. Sitting on a scarlet beast. Which was full of names of blasphemy. Having seven heads and ten horns. What's the wilderness? The wilderness is exactly. What you would imagine. A world is like without God. It's wild. it means uncivilized it means pagan it means that in spite of the technological advances that it's not a good place to be you don't want to get lost in the wilderness and it's in the wilderness in the this this area and I'm not talking about a, a, a geographical area. That's not what the scripture means. It's talking about a spiritual wilderness, a spiritual no man's land. And out there, there is this beast and, and it has on its back a woman. There's that beast again, the scarlet beast, the governmental system. And the Bible says that this woman was full of names of blasphemy. Or the 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 beast was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed with purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. The beast is the governmental system, the mark is the economic system, the woman is the religious system. We know this because as I mentioned a moment ago, there are two women that are mentioned in Revelation. One is godly, one is impure. The impure one is this one. The godly one represents the church, the bride of Christ. The other woman represents the false church, This woman on the beast is literally the antithesis of the bride of Christ that we read about in Revelation 21. Look at verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And she was arrayed in white linen, dazzling and clean. Here is a woman. That is pure, but this one is not. The Bible specifically mentions her immoralities. What does that mean? She seduced the world into going along with the system. The beast that she's riding on the back of now, what's this? It is a religious system empowered by a political system. And the only way that can exist in today's climate is if the religious system doesn't offend the political system. And that's why they want churches closed. Amen. Amen. Go try to have church in California, New Jersey, Michigan. Shall I go on? Yet, (laughs) some of the very people pontificating about how we need to be safe. They take their photographs at parties and some of the same political leaders. It's just not right and there's no excuse for it. It's not. So here we have contrasted the false church against the real one. And so that begs this question and I'm done. People ask, does it matter what kind of a church you go to? (laughs) Does. It matters a lot. You need a church that is faithful to the word of God. You need a church that listens to the word of God, that obeys the word of God. You need a church that lives by the Word of God. Amen. I'm done. Did I give you anything to think about? You will not want to miss Sunday morning. Get your family here. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? If you're here and you don't know the Lord... Well, every head is bowed right now. Would you slip up your hand and say, pray for me, pastor. I need God in my life. I need God in my life. God bless you. Any others? God bless you, my brother. Bless you, sir. Amen. If you've never been baptized, you need to be baptized. If you're at home watching this, Because of the times in which we live, I encourage you to take the step of faith and become a child of God and pray the prayer that we're about to pray together right now. While we pray it here in the auditorium, you can pray it at home. In fact, I'm going to ask you to even take a step of faith. And if you're home and you need Christ in your life, raise your hand right where you are and just say, Lord, I need you. And let's pray. Dear Jesus. I ask that you would save every person who has raised their hand that needs God, either at home or in this building. Forgive us of our sins, Lord. We're far from perfect. We're flawed people. We're made from the dust of the ground. Wouldn't even hardly be fair for you to expect perfection from us being made from the dust of the ground. And I'm so glad to know that you don't. And that's why you sent your son to be our Savior. I rejoice. I thank you for the blood of Jesus that was shed in my place. I want you to save those that raise their hands. Every person that has drifted away from God, draw them back to you. This is a time of rededication, recommitment. It's a time of purity, of zeal, of self-examination. It's a time to get a hold of God. It's a time to pray. It's a time to read our Bibles. It's a time to serve the Lord with joy and with gladness. And I thank you for hearing us today, Lord. In Jesus' name.